This is the podcast, Unabashedly Obsessed. Every week, two valiant friends get together to discuss things related to pop and not-so-pop culture. This month, when there's a Tom Hanks movie to watch, we go to work. This week, it's Dragnet. I'm James Anderson, and I have a podcast. We're unabashedly obsessed. We've got to get it off our chest. Please sit there and be quiet. Hey everyone. Hello. Welcome to Unabashedly Obsessed. You already knew you were here. Did you? Yeah. I'm James. I'm Aaron. On our show, like I said before, we like to talk about things related to pop culture. And not so pop culture. And this week we're talking about Dragnet. We sure are. As Dragnet, of... the Tom Hanks, Dan Aykroyd movie, right. not Dragnet, the TV show with other people in it. When you were watching the movie, did... It dawned on you that this was a co-starring role for Tom Hanks, that it was almost even like a like a supporting, maybe with a lowercase s role. Oh, yeah. It did to me, too. And I was like, oh, this is a Dan Aykroyd movie. Got yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> but Tom Hanks is in it. And he's the best. He was very good. Thing in it. Yeah. Well, there were some, there were some very great parts. I would say he's the best thing in it. Dan Aykroyd was very good in it. He was very good. And they were very good playing off each other. Yes. And um, I had forgotten... My childhood crush on the Virgin Connie Swale. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And oh. it, it kind of explains some of my short hair interests in women. Interesting. Yeah. I had forgotten about them until last night. And I was like, oh, right. Huh. Yeah. And then that lady went on to be in Baywatch. Did she? Yeah. Oh. So. I did not realize that. Yeah. I didn't look her up at all. Yeah. This, actually, this movie, I did not look anyone up. Well, the other the other casting thing that I thought was interesting was, um, and in the very early part, uh, they mentioned the sound of music, uh huh, and then Christopher Plummer's in it, and he was, was he in, in the sound of he music. He was the he was Colonel von Trapp in the sound of music. That's the dad. Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen the sound of music since sixth grade chorus class when we watched it. I think four times that year, which yeah. is why I have not seen it since because I didn't like it the first time. Yeah. And I really didn't like it by the fourth time. Sound of music is. Not my brand of musical. I feel like the sound of music I like more thinking about and also about half of the lyrics of uh, Do, Re, Mi. Yeah. That's about where, like when I'm actually like, I don't like what. how do you solve a problem like Maria. I don't mm-hmm. like You Are 16 going on 17. Nope. The Good Night yeah, song Peter is pretty. Song. Yeah, that was pretty all right. Yeah. I liked it better in uh when they did it in Family Guy, I guess. But like <laughs> I probably did too. I haven't seen it, but I'm pretty sure I probably liked it better then. And then I like Julie Andrews, so I do like Julie Andrews. So. Yeah. So we're talking about the nineteen eighty seven adaptation of Dragnet, like we said. The premise is that Dan Aykroyd plays Joe Friday's uh nephew, Joe Friday. Joe Friday senior being the guy in the T V show. Right. Got it. Um Played by Jack Webb, and his partner in that TV show was Harry Morgan, who was the chief of police, was the was their boss, the captain in this in this movie. Okay. Um, and was he a Strebeck like character? No, he was exactly like he was in this in this movie. He was no was nonsense. Joe Friday, the Strebeck like character. Nope. Dragon so was a was... very serious TV show. Really? Yeah. Um. So yeah, and I f- f- side note, uh, the guy's name is Harry Morgan, and he was also in Mash. Um. He was Colonel... He was Colonel Blake. Blake, right. Yeah, that's why I recognized him. Yeah. He was in uh, Dragnet. 
And then he was in um, The Apple Dumpling Gang, I think. Did okay. you ever watch those? Mm, um, there was a movie. There were two movies. And I they... saw the first one. Yeah. They're all right. Had somebody else in it. Uh, well, Don Knotts and Tim Conway were Don the... Don Knotts yeah. and Tim Conway yeah. are the two that I yeah. was thinking of. Yeah. Um, and then he was in uh, MASH. But I thought... So his character in Dragnet's name was Bill Gannon. Okay. Uh, for many years, I thought that actor's name was Bill Gannon. Oh. And I was very confused about why it wasn't. I don't know. It was like before <laughs> the internet. Why isn't your name the thing I thought your name was? <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah. The How tone, dare you, sir? The tone of Dragnet was very, very serious. It was It was like crime show. Dragnet the TV show. Right, exactly. And they were... Uh, doing a tribute to it whenever they would do Joe Friday or Dan Aykroyd narrates what they're doing as they're having the scene played out underneath not talking right was vintage dragnet was okay. exactly how the TV show went all the time okay Joe Joe Friday would tell you what they're saying in the scene they could just as easily have been having the scene happen right but I guess if you don't pay the actors to talk that's true feels sort of like a scam. Oops. Also feels like you would have to, wouldn't you have to pay your lead actor more for his time than you would have to pay the nothing actor, nothing actors, the, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the nothing actors who have like one or two lines. Right, exactly. They're nothing actors. Yeah, I don't That's know. That's what they're called. Maybe Jack Webb had a, a horrible, Jack Webb played Joe Friday, did I already say that? Maybe. Um, Maybe he just had a horrible contract and it was, they, they paid him nothing no matter what. Oh. That would be the worst contract ever. Probably. It was the 60s or 50s. Or maybe his contract was, I get all the lines. Yeah. Those nothing actors get nothing. That's I, why they're called nothing actors. Exactly. That that was, They coined the, that industry term. Uh-huh. Um, I think Dragnet started as a radio show. Okay. Which I think, and I've done no research based on this, but I'm pretty sure it went radio show, black and white show, color show. My... And then that explains why, like, over, like, voicing over what was going on like to a level of like we can see what's going on right makes a little sense sorry what's your my guest is a bit flabbered uh-huh. by the i love that that is a courtesy of my friend megan okay um hi megan i love hi that. megan that's yeah i know it's amazing <laughs> and i use it all the time and i love it but by the fact that this was a comedic movie based on a serious tv show like what? Well, they that was the late the like the t- period of time between like eighty seven and like two thousand had a bunch of those though because like Maverick, did you ever see Maverick the yeah Maverick? yeah that yeah. was a serious western. It wasn't like a funny western. I assumed it was because I never saw the show. I only yeah. saw the movie, which yeah. was very good yeah. and also funny. But like also like Dukes of Hazard was, I mean it that it was, was not. I would not. It wasn't. I wouldn't serious, say that was a serious. But it show. wasn't supposed to be like. <laughs> Those silly rednecks. Yeah. It was like, woo, cars. Yeah. <laughs> but like, there was a bunch of them that were like, let's make this serious show, but what if it was funny? <laughs> Why? I don't know. I mean, I'm not complaining because I think it worked really well. But like, they do it to the, uh, the the movie Chips that just came out, that Dax Shepard directed and whatever. It was a serious show, and I'm pretty sure, I never saw Chips, the movie by, starring Dax Shepard, but I'm fairly certain it was at least comedic. Okay. What was the uh, that Channing Tatum was in? Uh, Twenty One Jump Street. Magic Mike. Yes. No. All right. Anyways, um, so this mo- <laughs> this movie Dragnet. <laughs> that was stupid. Uh, Tom Hanks basically plays, um, and I'm echoing 
I know for a fact that I'm echoing something I said basically a year ago. Um, he plays sort of the the you know loose cannon like mm-hmm. screw up guy. Yeah. And Joe Friday plays the over the top, ridiculously by the book, like to the point of just ugh. Uh, by the like book you dude. kind of want to hate him, yeah. but he's so earnest about it that it's kind of endearing. <laughs> like when the stripper was like bent over backwards, he's like, "Ma'am," I was like, mm-hmm. "Yeah." <laughs> well, and it was interesting because not only was this a Dan Aykroyd movie, and we had just talked about him last week, exactly. Yep. But like, it, I, it was a comedic role because of how straight he played it. Like, I mean, Dan Aykroyd is very good at that like deadpan dry humor yes but i feel like this takes it to an extreme that i have not seen from him before right now i have not seen many dan Aykroyd movies i'm trying to think because like ghostbusters part of the funny part of ghostbusters was that everyone but bill murray was taking this very seriously yeah and dan Aykroyd was sort of the next one down where he was like yeah i'm taking this seriously but what bill murray just said was really funny I've only seen Ghostbusters once. Yeah. You didn't I've you seen didn't... bits and pieces of it many times. I've only attempted to watch it all the way through once and I zoned out around the time the monster in the refrigerator showed up. Yeah. You really have to not watch that movie for the plot in almost any way. You really yeah. have to be like let's watch Bill Murray. And actually And you... we've established that it turns out I'm not a big fan of Bill Murray movies. Right. I like him fine. Right. I just don't like any of the movies he's done. There, a, about a year ago, maybe a year and two months ago, I paused in the middle of a discussion. I was like, do you like any Bill Murray movies? And you're like, I like Bill Murray. I just... Yeah. Was that when we talked about Groundhog Day? Uh, no. Have... I don't remember. It was just... We were talking about Ghostbusters. I think it was during... You know, it was, it was we were talking about Ghostbusters in the Ghosts episode. Oh. Oh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you then, you said that, and then I said this, and then you said the thing, you said that. And oh. We're, we're looping around ourselves. Oh. But. Well, podcast over. We've so. We've run out of original things to say. <laughs> so, there's not, the plot of Dragnet is not super important. It's really not. They There's um, porn and religion and cops sort of all working <laughs> together. Porn to the point where I had brought this with me to watch on my laptop while I waited for Lorelai to have her gymnastics class. Yeah. And they announced that they were going to the home of the soft softcore porn magazine guy. And I was like, well, I'm moving to the car. Yeah. Because I, I, lo- I paused it and I looked and I was like, PG-13 rating in the late 80s. Yeah. Was that before? Like, so PG-13. So what I had been thinking was that was before they had an R rating. But no, R, the, it was GPGR. Right. Before they had PG-13. So I should have known that I would be fine. But I still moved to the car and watched it in the car. But like PG-13, I, I know people that are like five to ten years older than us that really, really, um, what's it called? When they like bristle. They really bristle when they think about like PG-13 because it's basically soft R. Yeah. So like that part where that lady took off her robe. Yeah. And Dan Aykroyd was like looking at her boobs. Uh-huh. This movie is stupid. It's a very stupid movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, in an R movie, that would have just been a full shot. Oh, yeah. And I think there are people that are like, but you, you made it like TV censored? Yeah. For whatever reason? Yeah. Now, you yeah. could, like, at in 2018, you could show the boobs in a 
PG-13 movie. Yeah. And nobody would blink at it. Right. Then the strip club scene confuses me. Boob censorship uh-huh. really confuses me. Okay. Because, like, what... I understand what was censored, that they had, like, glitter pasties on the nipples sure. in that thing. <laughs> it just seems pointless. It just... It seems like a like a moot point to, to like, be like, oh, nope, they're covered. Yeah. Yeah. Where you see everything but the nipple. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. It just it just seems like I was like this is because I sort of go back and forth because I'm like wait you couldn't show that but you can show this right but also what's the point of this right I mean, like not not like what's the point but like this is like it's just ridiculous it's like yeah like you you censored the other scene so much and you're yeah. barely censoring this but why are you bothering to right. censor this exactly why don't we just have all the boobs in the movie exactly because then it'd be Beverly Hills Cop. Would it? Yeah, there's I seen that, a, so. there, there's a very similar strip club scene in um in the eighties. I think cops going to strip clubs was supposed to be like super scandalous. Oh, okay. Because then you could have like gritty crime drama and also boobs and not cool. have there have to be sex. Awesome. Whoa, yeah, that's why that is because you don't want your cops having sex. You want like maximum boobage. Well, because you don't want to go see a cop movie and have to deal with a romance plot. Exactly. Blech. That's a good segue to my next point. Go do it. This. Okay. So we're in the, the midst of NaNoWriMo. Okay. Yes. I'm writing a romantic, a contemporary romance. Yes. So Which I'm, I'm in... stoked. Have I told you? I'm so sorry. I'm no, so stoked about your, about your, your book. Oh, thank you. If maybe just based on that, like what my, what my characters look like. Uh-huh. I'm like, I have a super big crush on... I want to say Nona, Nola, Nola. Yeah, yeah. Just based on who you posted about, just what based she looks on like. the fact that she looks like Melanie Linsky, a little bit. Like and like blue hair is really nice. I like former punk girls. Like oh, the uh, blue hair was back in high school. No, I know. Yeah, I get it. Weirdly, She's a real estate agent now. She can't have blue hair. One of my types is uh, used to have dyed hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. So, anyways, um, so yes, you're you're in the midst of writing this book, right? So I've and this is the first time that I have ever sat down to write something and actually like done anything resembling an outline or conflict arc or anything like that. And so I've got this book yep. called Romancing the Beat. Uh-huh. Story structure for romance novels. This okay. is basically a how to structure your romance novel that a lot of outline how to write kissing books. Yeah. Yeah, how to write kissing books. I love so it. a lot of, and I, I promise I will bring this back around to Dragnet. No, absolutely. But I'm stoked about this. A lot of plotting books do not address some of the unique issues of a romance novel, which is that the romance is the primary plot, and you have to braid the external plot. That's so. I, I use the term braid. That I, I'm sure Liz is Liz AF. Hi Liz. Hi Liz. Is listening to this right now and giggling. Yeah. Because this book frequently uses the term braiding. Uh huh. Like you have to braid the plots together. Right. But you you really do. So yeah. you know when you're reading a romance, you want to read about the romantic interaction between the two characters, and anything else that they're dealing with is extra. Right. Most non-romance books or like plot writing books don't they don't address that they just address you know this is how you plot out your conflict and this is you know you need these things and so this book has been really helpful to me it's the first time I've tried to plot out a romance and actually succeeded because it tells you beat by beat what points you need to hit in the romance at what point as you're plotting it out okay and so all of this is in my head as I'm watching this movie yeah and 
all of it applies to this movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a non-romantic romance. Yeah. Yep. Like you've got your, hold on, let me find. So it talks about how you've got, you know, all these different beats where you introduce your two main characters. Okay. So you've got your setup. You introduce your, you introduce Dan Aykroyd. You introduce Tom Hanks. I'm so sorry. I'm just going to stop you for just one moment real quick. In this, this is a non-romantic romance between Dan Aykroyd and... Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks? Yeah. Okay. All right. Continue. I was I was not getting what you were saying, but I thought oh. I was. Because I thought you were saying this is a romance between Dan Aykroyd and the Virgin Connie Swift. Oh, no. That was a stupid plot. Okay. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. Okay. <laughs> Which, Interesting. You know, okay. Maybe an unpopular opinion. Uh, I don't I know. I found her to be a completely unnecessary character. <laughs> I think she was over the top and tropey as hell. Um, and if I hadn't had a huge crush on her when I watched this movie, when I was probably way too young to be watching this movie, come to think of it, <laughs> I would probably not. And I, I, I wouldn't have liked her as much as I did. I thought she was super tropey and over the top, but I felt like it was an intentional like choice that they were making. Yes. Um, and, uh, also, uh, it felt gross that the word virgin was used so much. Go ahead. Yes. That, that was one of the, <laughs> I didn't take many notes, but one of the notes that I took was this virgin thing is real gross. Yeah. But so you've got your introduction of Dan Aykroyd. You've got your introduction of Tom Hanks. You've got your meet cute where they meet for the first time. You've got your no way point number one where they're like, there's no possible way this could work for Uh whatever reason. You know, for Dan Aykroyd, it's this guy is too rogue. Yeah. For Tom Hanks, this guy is too much of a square. Right. You've got your adhesion plot thrust where they are forced to work together. Yes. So then you have the second beat, which is when you're falling in love. Sure. And this will, you know, they're they're falling in working relationship. Right. So you have your no way too, where they're like, no, but seriously, I can't work with this person. Okay. Then there's an inkling that maybe this could work. And then there's deepening desire. Yeah. Which if we platonicize that, is that a word, platonicize? I love it. I love it. We're going to platonicize that and say that there's a deepening understanding of one another sure. and ability to work together. And then you go from that into maybe this will work. So there's the inkling, but then you hit the, no, no, this could actually work. And then at the midpoint, you you hit, or right at the end of that act, you hit the midpoint of love plot thrust, where typically that's about halfway through the book, where in a romance, the characters hook up for the first time. Okay. In this, it would be where they recognize that, yes, they can work together, but oh no, there's an inkling of doubt. Joe Friday just got canned. Right. And then deepening doubt. Joe Friday is not, he's had his badge taken away. Strebeck's got to work all by himself. Yeah. Is Joe Friday, like, you know, he thought he could trust him, but maybe he can't. Maybe there, you know, maybe there's a reason why he got canned. And so he retreats away from it, but he can't stop thinking about it. But he tries to throw those shields up, but he can't do it. And so he starts acting like Joe Friday and dressing down former colleagues with the like, Right. Well, so then then you hit the the breakup. All of this was kind of smooshed into the firing of Joe Friday. Sure. And a lot of the time that in romances that does happen. But then in your final act is fighting for love. Yeah. Or platonic working relationship as it were. You've got your dark night of the soul where things are as bad as they can possibly get for right. these two characters who are without each other. Yes. You've got your wake up and catharsis where you realize, "Hey, wait." This is stupid. We should be together. You've got your grand gesture. Yeah. You've got what, you know, what it looks like to accept this person for who they are and be a, be with them. Yeah. 
and then sometimes you have an epilogue. Huh. I like it. That's a romance plot. If I may for a moment. Sure. A podcast where you take movies that aren't billed as romances and hold them up to that and see how well they stack up to the romantic beat plot. I think that could work. I don't think it would work for every movie. Any movie that has a close relationship. Okay. That is a fundamental part of the plot. Okay. That could work. Like right now I'm thinking back to Magic Mike XXL. Okay. And I think you could probably hold it up to this. There was a point where they kind of all divorced from everything and then came back together. Was there? Because I I think I kept expecting there? there to be a point where it was like, that's it, Mike. You're out of the whatever. And it never... I thought that really there was a point happened. where I kept expecting the one dude, like uh, the uh, the guy that's on white collar, Matt Bomer. Yeah, yeah, um, to betray Mike and like have this big dramatic thing. No, you're right. And it never happened. You're right because there was that whole scene where they were like, "Hey, man, that sucked." I, well, I'm glad you told me that it, that you thought it sucked. Are we cool? Yeah, we're cool. Yeah, and then they and just, that was the only bust up. Then they just danced and humped people's faces. Yeah, Magic Mike XXL does not work on yeah exactly so like this podcast would be i'm so sorry to we can we can get back on the journey okay i'm loving this like i feel like you could take like lethal weapon die hard like movies that are like bro movies and be like aha but are i need to know who the second uh protagonist in in die hard is hans gruber of course okay so it's a romance between enemies okay I don't know. No, if, I ask only because there are there are a couple options. Well, is I was it John also McClane thinking about and Hans Gruber. Is it John McClane and Carl Winslow? Carl Winslow. Is it John McClane and the limo driver guy whose name I don't remember? And maybe yeah, like I think it'd be a very interesting podcast to be like, we're gonna take these movies that don't get billed as like rom- romances, right? And like compare them to us, you know, a pretty standard romantic beat. Is romantic beat plot a correct term? Um, like a I, I would, sort I would of like say a romantic a ro- plot, romantic arc. plot structure. Yeah, um, and see how while well they hold up, and I feel like it would be very interesting because it wouldn't be a, necessarily have to be a long podcast. Yeah, that could be a half hour show. Yeah, I just think it'd be. I I would definitely listen to that show. I just and maybe it's just because I'm like so in the thick of it right now. Yeah, that that occurred to me. Yeah, but the whole time I I'm watching it. it, I'm like, this is a fucking romance i love it oh man yeah i agree i feel like it would work i feel like that would work really well for like cop movies yeah i agree more than more than any other genre but like indiana jones and the last crusade i know you haven't seen them the basic plot of that is uh, uh harrison ford and his dad need to find the holy grail right i i dare i i would almost once he that take it takes him a little bit to get to he, teaming up with his dad so the meet cute is a sort of long time coming. Sure. And also they know each other. But I feel like there is a large portion of that that you could that holds up to that structure yeah. you just told me. Well, and the only reason the meet cute happens as early as it does in a romance is because in a romance, the romance is the primary plot right. of the thing. Right. This is, I mean, you know, Dragnet, I would say, is a story about these two characters dealing with these external plot situations. Absolutely. Whereas Indiana Jones, I think, is more about the characters dealing with the external plot situations and the, we'll call it a romance, It was it's is kind of more secondary braided into the search for the Holy Grail. It's close. I mean, like, 
when I'm watching the movie, and it may be just that Harrison Ford and Sean Connery are like amazing. Right. Um, well, it is at least in part that. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't care really about the Holy Grail stuff. Okay. When I'm watching it, I care more about like, why are they fighting? Are they still fighting? Are they going to fight again? <laughs> right. Sort of stuff like relationship stuff. Okay. Some interesting things. Hmm. But so I think I personally would be very interested in, in, I don't think now this is going to, this is going to throw many of our listeners as, as it throws me. I don't think I would be a good host for that show, but I would be an avid listener. I think it would need to be hosted by two people who are have intimate knowledge of the romance genre, if you will pardon the pun. I love the pun. I, I figured you would. I really do. I really do. But I yeah. Want, I like, want to love the pun. Okay. All right. That's yeah. I, like, I I mean, you can't... Well, so it's... it's And I mean, again, that goes back to the same reason as... Now I've turned this into a NaNoWriMo podcast, but... I'm here for it. Let's it, do it. it. That's part of why I've never found a how-to plot book that has worked for me before because when you're writing romance like there's so many it's like if you have a if you if you write any type of genre fiction yeah it has its own set of rules for that genre sure and a lot of the time those rules are very specific to that genre and so when you don't when you're looking at a a how-to that doesn't take those rules into account you're only getting part of the picture of the story that you're trying to tell well, there's like a, do you know uh, Joseph Campbell? I know the name. Why do I know the name? He, uh, well, he sort of did something like that for Heroes Arcs. Okay. Where I always think of it as com- in, in in terms of uh, Star Wars. Okay. Um, but like he, he wrote this uh, book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he's okay. basically like, think of any plot with a hero. Sure. This is the plot of the story that they're in. And it's yeah. like, they're they're bad at what they do. They get they they find a challenge. They don't want to rise to the challenge. They're forced to rise to the challenge. Mm-hmm. They fall. They succeed. They fall one more time. They big succeed. Go credits. Right. Exactly. Um, I would I would be very also interested because like is it like what because like I was thinking about that. I was like so what is the difference between like that arc and this arc that you just told me from this book? And one of them definitely is there are two people involved. Right. And the, and it's sort of a, like a like a pulsar around each other, right? Um, but I wonder, like, if you took that plot arc that you just told me, mm-hmm. I wonder if you took that and took the word, like the specific words, and turned them into like sci-fi replacements. Would it make a reasonable sci-fi arc, or is there something about that that only works for romance? I think so. I think it only works for romance and other plots about the relationship between two people right because you've got your two characters yeah who have to meet and then they start having all of these feelings for good or ill about each other and insisting that there's no way that they can possibly i will say be together but i mean be together romantically be together platonically have a working relationship whatever there's no way they can do that and then they start to realize that yes they can but then there's some kind of big bust up and then they realize they can't do it without each other and they have to come together in the end oh man i love the mighty ducks that's the plot of the mighty ducks yeah gordon bombay is one of them and Mm -hmm. the mighty ducks team is the other romantic lead i want to watch that with this in mind me too damn it this is a new kind of thing yeah. I'm I'm into it. I'm super into it. I do have to say, if anybody listening to this writes romance and has not read Romancing the Beat, yeah. I put it off for a long time because I didn't like 
plotting books because yeah. they never did anything for me. Yeah. This one is short. I read it in the span of like an hour and a half. Yeah. It's real. It looks it's, real thin. It's very yeah. thin. It's, I mean, big font. Yeah. Illustrations and, and stuff. Illustrations. And I mean, it really is just like, hey, this is the order of events for your book. Here are some examples of what those events might be in this hypothetical plot. Now go write your story. Yeah. It's, it was so helpful because I, I mean. Who's me, the author? Uh, Gwen Hayes. Oh, cool. 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 And like Mika and Christina can tell you, I have long considered myself not a plotter. I am a pantser. I start with a vague idea of a, uh, that's what you call it when you are a writer who flies by the seat of your pants. Uh, okay. I go into Nano with a vague idea of a character and maybe some vague idea of plot. Maybe. Yeah. That's me as well. And then I just bang out 50,000 words and see if any of them are usable. Yeah, there was a pun in there. No, I know. And I wanted you to say and see what comes of it. But then... Oh, no. See, I don't write gross books. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> great, great. Okay. Sorry. I'm sorry that I... that I. Uh... <laughs> sorry, I took it. I went a little blue there. Oh. But yeah, this like... That's... I mean, Christina had been talking about it and she had sent me this spreadsheet that she had done up for the the book that she's been working on and the conflict arc arcs for those characters and she had made this spreadsheet out of notes from a friend of hers who i had taken a workshop from so i had them but didn't realize that i had them because again when louise did the workshop it was for it was in general right and christina had it broken down in the spreadsheet into applying to a romance novel right and so I'm like, now I feel like I can take the general, like now that I've got that and this and yeah. all of that, I feel like I could take a general plotting book and see how to apply Romancing the Beat right. to that general fiction writing book yeah. and come up with an actual story from it. But like, I've never written from an outline before. I have my entire book outlined. Yeah, that's awesome. Like start to finish. Yeah. Like to the point where I kind of don't, I kind of don't want to keep working on it because I know what happens now. <laughs> right. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like I'd run into the same thing. Yeah. I have two things. There's a Go-Go's album. The big, the uh, the band, the Go-Go's in the eighties, uh, their first big, huge album was called Beauty and the Beat. Okay. And this sounds like, like what the next album was called romancing the beat sure sure yeah. so the other thing is can you it feels like do so then if you were writing a like if you were a romance author mm -hmm. and you were that was your career and you were you know nine to fiving it or however you decided to do your writing sure you wouldn't write each book like arc time here's this here's this is would you or would you and my I guess my the real question i'm saying is there a part is there an like a, a time when you could be like all right the arc is one, two, three, four. But in my book this time, it goes one, three, two, four or something like that. I don't think you could switch it up because that would be going from, hey, they've met to, oh, no, they broke up to, hey, they're together to happily ever after. Right. So just be like act two. Act two <laughs> is they start to fall for each other and get together at the end of it. Act yeah. three is the breakup. Yeah. So and you can't flip-flop the arcs around. When now, spring break happens and Becca finally watches The Breakfast Club, right. Sure. Now, if you were to be writing, if you were to be writing, you can tell I've been uh -huh. <laughs> just trying to get as many words as humanly possible. <laughs> like if you wrote a subgenre of the general romance genre, like if you write mystery romance where your main character is an FBI detective who's having to work with this local cop to solve a murder. Uh-huh. 
So something like that, you could. So it's it's like it's almost like this this um uh, this macro plus this macro right put together gives you a sort of a genre blend sort of situation. Right. But right. you wouldn't. I mean, I guess you're right. So like it's a developmental thing. So you couldn't like change it. Like so what what keeps it from being formulaic? Your voice. Your voice, okay. your characters, the setting. Okay. But honestly, I mean, part of, like, romance is designed to be formulaic. Okay. You okay. have these two characters. They meet. They fall in love. They have a fight. They break up. They get back together at the end. Like, that's, I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, there's a reason that romance has a whole lot of tropes that you see over and over and over again. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like any more discussion about this and we have to call this an episode of Dick of the Week starring you and me. <laughs> So I think maybe we, we should, should probably talk about Dragnet. <laughs> okay. No, I was thinking about that a second ago, too. I was like, this has somehow become a romance novel podcast. So, I mean, Dragnet, you said you you really, you said you, you enjoyed Dragnet. I enjoyed it. I yeah. felt like it was, it was longer than it needed to be. It was about 20 minutes longer than it needed to okay. be. I think they could have tightened it up a lot. But I think part of that is also that they tried to add in a lot more caper. And I was only interested in the romance. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I didn't care about the caper. I didn't care about Connie Swale at all. Like, I, I wanted her to not be in the movie at all. She was pretty much a prop. She really was. I thought the the plot that I hate, and I don't know, like, in the 80s if this was a thing or if, like, they just started doing this after this movie or whatever. I really hate we've witnessed this this you know outlandish thing and oh now it's gone no one will believe us because we don't have any evidence look no yeah i hate it so much it's so stressful to me it was a very 80s <laughs> plot device yeah yeah um my, where where i was living was in tom hanks's acting oh he was so like and that's that's why i was interested in the romance it wasn't the characters yeah it was I just wanted to watch Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Because they were both so good in this. Yeah. They took a mediocre movie and made it very enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> I started writing down I didn't end up doing this because I just ended up watching the movie, but I started being like, All right, my notes are gonna be all the times that Tom Hanks does something that makes me laugh out loud. Oh, okay. And um I, I think I got like two. And then I took my Christopher Plummer was in Sound of Music note. Oh, um okay. Uh, oh, it, the sound of music was one of the was one of Miss a- Miss February, who was whose name was April. Mm-hmm. That Tom Hanks knew all her stuff. Yeah, that was one of her favorite movies. Yeah. Um. Anyways, um, it was when the the lion had the mohawk, and and Dan Acker's like, "How do you tell these children that it'll grow back?" Hey, kids, it'll grow back! Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I. It was so good. Um, like honestly, <laughs> so in terms of. Like, the quality of the story, I would say this is up there with the burbs. Yeah. Like, the story's just fine. But where the burbs didn't have anything to hang itself on other than Tom Hanks being a good actor. Yeah. This movie has Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. And enough really, like, just entertaining jokes like that that were delivered so seamlessly. Yeah. That it makes it just a really fun cop caper comedy. Yeah. It... I actually, this was after, I, I know I keep, I, I, I'm getting uh, real Beverly Hills cop vibes because Eddie Murphy among serious cops was the plot of Beverly Hills cop. Sure. Um, but like, the it's, it is always funny to have be like, I'm still a good cop, but I also don't care about the dress code. 
Right. Um, and it's very interesting to to have that tension there. Um, but yeah, like I, I thought, like Tom Hanks was. We had talked in the Burbs about how Tom Hanks was sort of like, "Whoa, chill out, my yeah. man." Um, this the character sort of called for it, and yeah, and so like when he was over the top, like <laughs> he like he did something where he like made a face like, "Oh, I'm following her." Like when the yeah. the you know the playmate went into the like uh-huh. he made this face where it was like oh you couldn't drag me away from this lady yeah whatever all of his sort of wild robin williams isms if you will mm-hmm. were called for in this that they weren't called for in the burbs he was a wacky character in this yeah he was supposed to be an everyman in the burbs yeah and i think that was in in looking back sort of comparing these two movies i think that was my problem with the burbs was why is he acting so crazy right <laughs> like He's everyone got else the supporting on... cast of crazy characters he does not he is supposed to be the the everyman yeah straight person exactly in this yeah exactly so I, I i felt like tom hanks was more at home and i was trying to think about when the transition when tom hanks made the transition to like oh man tom hanks is in this bachelor party the burbs dragnet to a tom hanks picture right and I I don't know when when that was like it was in the it could have been Forrest Gump but I feel like it was before that Philadelphia was before Forrest Gump wasn't was it was it maybe it was Philadelphia then but I mean that what a hard left turn if that's the case yeah I'm gonna look at his filmography real quick yeah just to maybe see. we can see a point of inflection okay so the Money Pit Dragnet Big the Burbs Turner and Hooch Joe versus the Volcano A League of Their Own Oh League of Their Own there it is. I mean, there are a couple other things, too, that I am not familiar enough with to say, like, I don't know what the bonfire of the vanities is. That is a Tom Wolfe novel. So, like, that's, like, serious Hanks. Okay, well, that was right. That was between Turner and Hooch and Joe versus the Volcano. Yep. So, I think it might have been Bonfire of the Vanities was the... So, yeah, I think, I mean, somewhere somewhere along the lines of A League of Their Own, I think... Yeah, sounds like 91, is where, 92 is, was yeah. when... Yeah, early, yeah, early '90s is where he made the transition. Maybe it was Sleepless in Seattle. When was Sleepless in Seattle? '93. Also, oh, was after League of Their Own. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia was '93, okay. and then Forrest Gump. Right. So yeah. And then, then you had like Apollo 13 was '95. Uh, Toy Story oh, right. and Apollo 13 were both '95. Then that thing, that you, thing do. you do, which yep. came on at the gym the other day, and I was like, oh man. I really want to stop doing crunches and go watch <laughs> that thing you do. Yeah. Oh, such a good movie. Yeah. I mean, at this point, this has just turned into a podcast where we read off Tom Hanks' filmography. Uh-huh. And yeah. <laughs> so I it it that was sort of my other thought was like I sort of had a one-two punch thought of, oh, this is a Dan Aykroyd movie. Yeah. Or it would have been billed as one, I think. Yeah. And then my second thought was, when did Tom Hanks make the transition to like tom hanks my i mean i would assume from what we just read that yeah. a league of their own would be yeah the biggest because i had never heard of that other one bonfire of the vanities yeah, yeah that would i'd never i've i mean yeah. just because i haven't heard of it certainly doesn't mean anything but right. like a league of their own i feel like everybody knows about that movie i would i would think so so i think that might be the biggest oh wow the goofy bosom buddies dude is actually a really good serious actor and it was in it's an interesting one to point out because i think he does a lot of sort of over the top hanksy drunk yeah. stuff yeah i mean he definitely pees in it so we he, know that it's boy does he yeah God. do you think he's aware of how often he pees on screen 
Do you think there's a Tumblr of Tom Hanks peeing? Probably. There's the internet has everything. Do you think that that I should start a social media no. website called Tumblr that is no. all Tom Hanks related stuff? Oh, all Tom Hanks related stuff, yes. Yeah. All Tom Hanks peeing related stuff, no. Well, there'd be a separate subtomet for sure. Peeing, but sure, but should the entire thing be only based around his urination? No, yeah, yeah. Habits? No. It would just be a. It would be like it'd be like a social media thing, but you can only post about Tom Hanks. Yeah. Welcome to and Tumblr. It, and if you try to post something not related to him, oof, you get shut down. You get one chance to make it work. Yep. Yeah. You get one degree of Tom Hanks. Yeah. <laughs> Like, oh, well, this is a mile of green road. All right. But you're on notice. Yeah. That sounds fun. Anyways. Okay. So, um, yeah. Dra- Dragonite was fine. It was yeah. like, it was, it was fine to a level that I liked it more than, than the burbs. And I'd watch Dragnet before I'd watch the burbs. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that we watched the burbs first. Yes. Because if we had watched Dragnet and then watched the burbs, I would have been, I would have had much less favorable things to say about the burbs. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I would have been like, we just, I mean, I didn't expect, any of the other movies that we're watching this month to hold up to the Green Mile. Right. Or at least none of the ones from well, that DVD collection. Yeah, exactly. Because like, it's a different... Well, exactly. So yeah. watching The Burbs after the Green Mile, I don't... Like, there was no comparison. Right. I didn't feel tempted to compare them. Watching The Burbs after Dragnet, I would have compared the two and been pissed off. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. Exactly. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I am enjoying, like, I've, I've watched Dragnet before, but, like, I'm enjoying sort of getting a, an immersion in, like, 80s Hanks, um, because I feel like 90s Hanks gets a lot of play, with yeah. good reason, don't get me wrong, but, like, I think that it's interesting to, to see some of these lesser-known works. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least... Lesser known by me. Less, yeah. I was going to say, at, at least less touted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, and, and you know, opinions on uh, on Hanks' work uh, vary. We were on uh, Finish It and uh, this week on the on the podcast <laughs> Finish It. And the Yule Brothers had very, very good things to say about the Burbs. Um, I think they were a little appalled that we didn't like it. I was. I there was, was a moment where I was afraid they were going to kick us off the show. <laughs> I didn't think they were going to kick us off the show. I didn't want to get into it, though. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really think they were going to kick us off the show because then they would have had to do the whole show by themselves. And I don't think they were prepared for that. No one wants to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially not when be- doing the show by yourselves requires having read a thing. That's true. That's true. Yeah. They could have done a live read. If y'all are not watching Finish It, and by watching, I mean staring at your phone as it plays. Because, in amazement because it's so good. In amazement because yeah. it's so good. Then you really should watch Finish It. You really should. And I've been I've been talking to some people that have sort of getting in, are getting into it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're in an arc of a book called Who Killed Harlow Thrombey, uh, which is the second book they've done. You can start with that. You can start with the beginning of that book. However... When they get to every other segment they do, every other episode, they do a segment called Meanwhile in the Cave of Time. And you should hold on to those until you've listened to the Cave of Time arc. Yeah. Honestly, I would say as, no? No, no, yeah. I'm, I'm, agree- I'm agreeing with you before I've said about what thing. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I would just start at the beginning. Just start at the beginning. It's, you, like, you can, because we're in the sixth episode of Harlow Thrombie, if you want to hear us before you make a big commitment to the whole show, I understand it. And I would give it with that caveat. However, I would say start from the beginning and watch them learn how this show goes yeah. with them. I would, And they hit their stride early. It would, I would say th- three. Three or four episodes yeah. in yeah. and they have 
hit their stride. Like the first two, I mean, a lot of shows, I mean, our show didn't really hit its stride until double digits at least. I would say maybe even like closer to 20. Yeah. To hit, for a podcast to hit its stride three episodes in. Yeah. When when you are podcast hosts who have not, like I expect a McElroy podcast to come out of the gate. Right, exactly. With its stride in place. Yeah. But that's because they are robots. They're podcast producing robots. Exactly. Um, if they're not, if their stride is not right out of the gate, then their algorithms are broken. Exactly. They need a tune up. Yeah, but yeah, is it finish it? Is just it's it's so good. It's I I, I really I would go back and start at the if you if you do not mind committing to it, I would go back and start at the beginning. I I agree. I one hundred percent agree. Um, because the Cave of Time is such a ridiculous book. So it's so ridiculous. It's, I listed on the uh, PodCon asked my three favorite mm-hmm. podcasts. Uh, I think Finish It was what I put yeah, as number one. Same. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah. they have different opinions about the verbs, but they also make a good podcast. Yes. Is I guess they what they sure <laughs> do. Is the whole point of that. We have social media though. We sure do. You want to try to get it done as quickly as we did when Caitlin was on the show with us? Yes. Let's act act as if Caitlin is in the room. We have social media. We have a Facebook group called Unabashedly Obsessed with Unabashedly Obsessed that you should join. We also have a Twitter. It is at UFO Podcast. You decide what the F stands for. Tonight, the F stands for... Friday. Joe Friday. Indeed. Individually, we can be found on Twitter. I'm at Unabashedly Aaron. I am at Unabashed James. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Unabashedly Obsessed, if you would like to support the show financially. We have a merch store, cafepress.com slash Unabashedly Obsessed. Put our cartoon faces on your body. Well, okay. There's a tattoo parlor attached. Um, there's not. Put <laughs> there's our, not. Put our cartoon faces on your stuff that you own. Oh, Caitlin just left the room. Dang it, Caitlin. <laughs> Thank you to Jamie Shaheen for our theme song. Did you guys know there was a ladder down here? You can find Jamie and his band, A Silent Few, on YouTube. Thank you also to Emily Cardamus for our logo. You can find Emily on Twitter at Corrupted Gem or on Tumblr at artfulhypothesis.tumblr.com. It's always weird when we somehow manage to flip-flop. Right? And it was my fault because I started in on the Patreon stuff, and that's usually your line. Okay, well, just so long as you know who's at fault. Yeah, I'm at fault. Cool. Well, we've solved another mystery here. I'm not the one who made Caitlin leave. Dang it. Caitlin, I'm sorry. (laughs) This has been a mysteriously romantic episode of Unabashedly Obsessed. I'm James. I'm Aaron. Smoking kills. And so do pennies. I don't have anything to say. Yeah, I wanted to do like another Joe Friday outro, but I don't really know that there's anything more to say. Nope.